0: I was the most famous composer in Europe. I wrote 40 operas alone. Here. What about this one? Yes, I know that. Oh, that's charming. I'm sorry, I didn't know you wrote that. I didn't. That was Mozart. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing?
1: Good, Ryan Ryan that's you how are you
0: I'm doing okay we are both recovering from that classic cold flu season down here in Melbourne it's winter time in Australia it's uh it's it's, it's just hit us both and so we took a week off we had to make sure to find the time to watch all three hours of armadeus the director's cut mm-hmm uh, I did it the way that, obviously, uh, Milosh Foreman would want me to, which is in, in, in half-hour chunks across several days, because it's like <laughs> streaming sites now, where it's more about consuming it like episodes of TV, rather uh, yeah, than a whole movie. I, I, I remember
1: when The Irishman came out, there were a bunch of articles like, this is the way to watch it.
0: Or when The Hateful Eight had uh, <laughs> a weird cut on Netflix in America that was broken up into 45-minute episodes, <laughs> and it was like... Tarantino must be spinning in his grave. Did you actually, though? No. Okay, good. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> when have I ever done anything like that? That's why I have to sure. I've <laughs> never been the one on this podcast to watch mo- the movie that we discuss over more than one session. That's been repeatedly you. I would say on this podcast with Pictures Power Wow, the show where we talk about a movie that has come recommended... You have 65% of the time watched the movies over the course of more than one sitting. You have routinely had to be like, I got tired, so I, I came back to it the next day. Yeah, it
1: happens when I watch it really late.
0: It happens when you watch it really late, but it's an excuse nonetheless that has gone on, and I have not done that, really. I, it's been very rare, if ever. but we are talking about Amadeus, the director's cut of the film Amadeus, and the movie was recommended by you over there, Bartek. Hello, yeah. Bartek, you recommended this. Hello. Hello, National Tiles. Good, Ryan, how are you? I'm doing very well. <laughs> oh, sorry, but...
1: you, you did a Melbourne joke, and I... I did an
0: Australian it. joke, specifically <laughs> Melbourne-based. Melbourne joke, yes. But we are here to talk about Armadeus. If the listening people, that's you out there listening who are people, have not seen the film Armadeus, the director's cut recommend that you do give it a watch because we are going to discuss it in depth now history and relationship wise i have not seen the director's cut before or maybe i have it's been a very long time since i watched Armadeus. i saw this maybe when i was 14 years old mm-hmm. and it was lent to me by a friend who had it on dvd and i didn't think to note down if it was a director's card or not. It was at that point where I was like, yeah, I'll watch this. And I I, I sat down and I watched it and I remembered enjoying it overall. I wasn't blown away by it per se. I just thought, yeah, this is... This is an example of a film that is neatly put together. Wonderful performances, an interesting point of view to tell a story about a historical figure... And I admired it more than I maybe liked it overall, and it hasn't left a long-lasting impression. When people talk about Amadeus, there's a sense of reverence, I feel. Lots of people, when they talk about it, is in that breath of it's a fantastic movie. And I admire it, but overall it has not left uh, a huge mark on my life. But I was excited to sit down and watch it again and know that I'm watching the director's cut and it was three hours long. I
1: didn't know that until I got the... Oh, I knew immediately
0: because <laughs> I knew that the first cut was like nearly three hours long and I and I assumed that this would be longer because mm. rarely are director's cuts, rarely, not always, rarely are they shorter. Mm.
1: I did read in the trivia that apparently they did cut out one line. Oh, good. <laughs> and they added 20 more minutes.
0: But... I can't remember. There was a movie that we have done on the podcast, I swear, or maybe has been discussed. There is a director out there who did their cut of the movie. And, oh, yes, I know. The Cohen Brothers' first film, Blood Simple. We haven't done it on the podcast, but I've discussed it. Mm-hmm. Is two minutes or three minutes shorter than the theatrical cut? Like their director's cut is shorter.
1: Did they only cut things out, or did yeah they they, they trim some anything? stuff?
0: I I don't think they really replace stuff. I think, mm, and also since it was their first film, it's not like they had an abundance of stuff. It was mm. kind of what was there, and they thought, well, we'll come back and trim it, maybe fix up the score, rearrange scenes a bit, but no, they they, they shortened it. But Amadeus was your recommendation, so please tell us a bit about your relationship with the film.
1: It's honestly pretty similar to yours. I remember one point, I think I was older than 14, I might have been already at uni or almost at uni age, um there was one day where my mum, she had this dvd of amadeus she handed it over to me and said like you should watch this and didn't really give me any sort of explanation i just thought like oh okay it's got an interesting cover um don't know anything about it and eventually i did watch it and yeah similar to what you were saying i remember it being a good movie that i enjoyed um you know nothing was really like a weak link in it And for the longest time, that's just been my memory of it. Like, yeah, I remember that being a solid film with, like, a bunch of interesting things going on, taught me a little bit about a historical figure that it's about. Um, And, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it too much in all the time since I've watched it. Um, But, yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, it just popped into my mind. and I thought, like, oh, yeah, I've always been meaning to check that out again. I'm doing a podcast now. I have to recommend an American film. Why not do it now? Um, And I do remember at some point in the last few years, I did hear in passing mention that, like, the director's cut is, like, the inferior version of Mm. the film, not the theatrical, and I was curious to check that out. I don't remember which version I saw, Mm. but when I was reading up about, like, oh, what are the differences, uh, I think maybe I would have also seen the director's cut. I, I know that the scene with, like, the guy with the dogs... Is director's cut only, and I mm-hmm. think I remember seeing that. So yes,
0: played by the actor from David Lynch's uh, Dune. He's one of the Harkonnens in that movie. He's excellent in that movie. Uh, he's not the one that Sting. That if that helps you, but I, d- I really uh, don't know anything about Dune. <laughs> uh, should we do that on the podcast one of these days? You you love you would love Dune. What a okay brief detour. <laughs> David Lynch's Dune opens up. With Virginia Madsen, who's an actress, her character, her head floating in space, mm-hmm. and she's giving you exposition. Like she instead of it being a text crawl, she's just telling you exposition over and over and over. And it's like pages pages and pages and pages, <laughs> pages. pages of exposition is <laughs> so long. And then the funniest part is she finishes, she fades away, like literally, like it goes opaque and then she fades away into the galaxy you're seeing. And then she fades back up and says, oh, I forgot something. <laughs> and then she gives you more exposition. That sounds amazing. I'd need to that watch is That is one of the best. It's a wild movie. It has some really excellent things in it. You would love the Baron. That's all I'll say. But
1: I remember you showed me a video. I think it was of a Baron or something. Yes, like the yes. fat one or something.
0: Yes. or oh, actually, I think the guy with the dogs is the Baron. But either way, David Lynch's June is for another time. Now, I, 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 when I'm curious though, what has pushed you to want to watch it now, Armadeus, and do it for the podcast? What was there? Was there anything ling- lingering in your brain that you said, okay? Now I want to put this one on the table.
1: Um, to very minor extent. It was mostly just oh, I need I need to revisit that. Like actually remind myself of what happened in it. Uh, we were having we were talking over Facebook last night about the film, and you were telling me about how oh, this guy is in from B five is in this film. Yep. And for some reason, only when you showed me that photo did like my mind flash back to when we were reading up trivia about uh, Lemonade Joe about how that actor is in this film in a minor role. Yes. It was only at that moment that I remembered, like, oh right, I have to look out for Carl Fiala.
0: Yes, who is Um, Lemonade Joe in one of our favorite films, Lemonade Joe. Yeah, so
1: I that wasn't a impact that didn't impact me picking the film, but it was definitely something that, you know, further excited me like a few minutes before I started watching it.
0: <laughs> We're both fans of the director as well. Uh, he uh, Milos Foreman. he did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, if I'm not mistaken. I do believe that was him. And he's done a whole a wide array of things over the years. And it's definitely a film that you'll never forget the, the visuals and how it's put together. It's a costume drama. Obviously, mm. you will remember the big powdered wigs and the... Wonderful coats that they wear, and just the—I uh, I don't know—the uh, audacious attitude of the stage productions that they put on in the yeah. movie, and yes,
1: the look, the setting, the type, character archetypes of those settings. Like the, you've got emperors and kings and religious figures. Lots
0: of wonderful character actors. I think there were some composers in it too. Yes. This film is made up of mainly smaller or unknown or character actors rather than the big stars of the time. The fact that... Amadeus is played by F. Murray Abraham and there's even lots of trivia about how getting him in this role not, not, he wasn't Amadeus, he was Salieri sorry, yeah. He getting him in that role was a whole big hassle and there's lots of things okay. that I had to go through because he was working on Scarface at the exact same time and He's not the, the actor that you would think is the leading man of your movie. He's usually the supporting actor, mm. a very skilled performer obviously, but usually one that you leave to the side. Yeah, I didn't
1: read too much trivia about this, so if there is any interesting ones, definitely bring them
0: up, yeah. You have uh, some familiar faces from this time period. You have Jeffrey Jones as the Emperor himself, Mr. Rooney from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And uh,
1: Criswell, right, from
0: Edward? Yes, yes, yes. And I was going to say he was also in Beetlejuice as the dad. Mm -hmm. But uh, a disgraced actor nowadays, very bad man, but there was, there was, was very a scene, fun in this
1: movie. There was a scene in this where they were talking about molestation. And, but
0: uh, you even have uh, some of these side characters and you look at them and go, oh, you, you're famous, you're a like, British actor man, this, or your your <laughs> European actor man, that, to the point in which one of the opera singers in the movie is played by the actor who did Lemonade Joe and for Czechoslovakian people that's like... That's an actor. That's there a name. was a lot
1: of European names in the credits when they were going through, you know, locations and yeah. like production details of like the the theater productions.
0: So we should just stop for a moment and clarify for those who need a bit of catching up. Amadeus is the story of the wild life of Mozart himself, Wolfgang
1: Amadeus Mozart.
0: This is told from the perspective of one of his rivals who had very complicated feelings about Mozart.
1: Antonio Salieri.
0: Ranging from love to hate. And we are hearing this from the accounts of old, old Salieri, who is not only just having tried to commit suicide but you reveal spoiler alert, at the end of the movie he's also lost his mind yeah, and so it's... how much of this is true how much is is this the ramblings yeah. of a madman and
1: as much as like it is clearly about you know him and mozart it's very figuratively also just him versus god
0: and if you're wanting this drama to be historically accurate, it's not. Yeah, no And no way. that's <laughs> the point of it. This is... This is all dramatized. This is all made up. These characters are characters. They're not trying to capture the real-life people. Apparently, they were probably
1: just genuinely good friends. (laughs)
0: They were probably just, you know, friendly rivals. Salieri taught Mozart's kid how to play. So it goes in that direction of looking at historical figures from yesteryear and wondering, what if? Because if you look at it on paper, Salieri's story, who he was, what he was, and then Mozart came along... You could, like this script does, do the what if like what what if they hated each other and what if, and go on and on and on to the way that this film proceeds to do. so it's it's also one of the few times in a movie that I've seen where the the biofilm is told from the perspective of not only an outsider, that isn't unusual, but an outsider who detests the person that the story is about. That's interesting. Who feels
1: very complicated about it, we should say.
0: (laughs) Now, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this, and maybe this is from an era of this series you don't recollect, but The Simpsons did a, a, a version of Amadeus as a whole episode where Salieri was Lisa, and Mozart was Bart, and and it was the idea of, like, she's, like, the sister who's actually better and smarter, but no one pays attention to her because she's, like, the, the younger sister who's a girl and stuff, and mm-hmm. she also ends up in the insane asylum and all of that. There's an episode of The Simpsons where it's just Amadeus, and I can't it's probably a treehouse of horror, or one of their weird, like, here's a random series of cool, sketchy ideas, but there is an episode of The Simpsons that does this Mozart uh, Amadeus, and I also thought of that when watching this last night. I had a good chuckle. I've probably seen it, but I can't remember. No. Well, you'll watch it when you get home. <laughs> probably should. So I enjoyed myself on the revisit of this. So much of it had left my brain, but not all of it. Mozart's laugh never, never leaves the brain. I was about to do it, but, you
1: know, no, my phones, it'll but... probably... Yeah.
0: What's what's really what's really grand about Amadeus is you think about Mozart and his music, and you think of it as like very gentlemanly classic. It's classical music. Oh, it's, it's from the
1: old times. It's so it must high, be. It's
0: it's the marker of highbrow, and then you come to this this film, and everyone treats Mozart like he's this fucking juvenile delinquent asshole, and the music and the movie in general doesn't feel fancy, it feels abrasive and loud and constantly making noise. There's a, There comes a point in the movie where it's just scene after scene after scene of noise, of just the music being played, or people yelling at each other, or people singing, or partying, or farting, and it's really the opposite of what you would think a period piece costume drama about the life and times of Mozart, arguably the greatest musician of human history, uh, especially, spe- specifically of that music style, but just in general. Yeah, very much the
1: attitude of Salieri before he meets Mozart and his two contemporaries in the courts.
0: Yeah. And... I really enjoyed how the movie had the modernization to it where the actors are using their own accents. Mm-hmm. You have that more uh Mozart is a rock and roll star. We watched the 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 Wall, Pink Floyd's The Wall, and that has like the classic rock star rise to fame, fall uh narrative structure. And you can apply that to Amadeus as well. <laughs> Obviously, he's he's not a rock star, but it has that just audacity and just punch in the face with just how aggressive these characters are, even though what you're s- watching as well is people dressed nicely with the big powdered wigs, smiling At one another while saying underneath that smile, "I hate you, I hate you," (laughs) and I just really enjoyed the the dissonance that the film brought in. This is one of those classic cases. A film that I think reminds me of a similar attitude caught more recently was the The Favorite, starring Olivia Coleman, which was. Mm a period piece drama about the queen and these two women in her court that are trying to get her favor. That was and...
1: directed by the other Milos, right?
0: Yeah. Um was he a Milos uh yeah, lanthimo Yorgos, I can't remember, but he's Oh Greek. no, it wasn't Milos. No. You know, he's Greek. Right? Oh, I'm I'm
1: thinking of uh, Hogofogo, he was a Milos.
0: Yes, he was Milos Kopeki. Yeah. Um but uh, yeah, I thought of The Favorite as well, a movie that captures that they're, they're not being so out of time from when it's set that it feels so in-your-face and even mm. comedic, but it's it's enough where it doesn't feel like the material is too dry to consume. Yeah,
1: de- I definitely know exactly what you're talking about because I, I mentioned this before with uh, you know my experience being, oh, I learned a bit more about this guy from history. Uh, it very much is a case with me of oh, this was this is a prolific figure from history, I imagine, you know, elevated, proper behaviour, you only read, like, the uh, objective things of what they did and didn't really look into them too much. So when he was characterised as this man-child, I was like, oh, are they, like, parodying or making fun of this guy or is this, like, actually what he was like? And, yeah, even reading up about him after watching this film again... It was like, oh, yeah, he had songs about like licking his ass and stuff like that. (laughs) I always thought of
0: Mozart as like precocious boy genius of classical music, which is what this film does touch upon, and how his father, who is very, very minuscule in the scheme of things, but also profound in the character study of Mozart, but that it's also. Rather, when you're looking at classical music as people who aren't into it, Mozart is the fanciful one here. And then Beethoven, to me, is the one that I think of as far more bombastic and yeah. dramatic and just hard hitting. But then you watch Amadeus and you're like, oh, he's a little yeah, it, he's a little in, r- in my, r- rock star.
1: In my head, all the names of the big composers, like the, you know, Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, I just imagine like, oh, they're all the same sort of person, but just like slight differences. This one's deaf, this one's you know, a bit younger, a bit more famous. This one's, I don't know, something like that.
0: But Beethoven, I also think of Wild because he had the big wild hair and he has like, when you see pictures of him, he has like that intense stare and he has like the face of like a guy who's seen things while Mozart is like little pompadour, like he's he's George from Black Adam. Yeah,
1: he, that's kind of <laughs> what they were going for in this almost. <laughs> and
0: Bach, we actually use Bach music as the intro and outro music to our podcast mm-hmm. because he was Polish. Polish so I used that, and so even at the beginning of every episode, there's a little bit of classical. I always always forget that it's Buck, yeah. (laughs) How could you forget? He's one of ours. He's one of ours. But uh, overall, what were some of the things that leapt out at you on this visit, or how did it feel to come back to Amadeus after all of this time?
1: So, like I said before, my memory of it was I remember enjoying it, it was good, and I've been meaning to check it out again just to see what it was like again. My experience this time was that I absolutely loved the film. I was beaming. If this film was actually three hours long, I almost don't believe it, because it was just gripping the whole way through.
0: (laughs) It is a magnificently paced film. It did feel long to me, but not so long. We've watched movies that are half the length that have felt double Mm. of what this actually is. So it is constructed so well, and... It's constructed in a way where you're not too, like, you're not too aware of the narrative structures that these stories usually go to. Even though it does go there, there's so much slice of life to this, where just stuff is happening.
1: Yeah, years pass by and it doesn't even tell you directly. It's just, like, obvious. Like, oh, they have a kid now.
0: They have a kid now. We we first meet Mozart, popping the question to his girl, and they're running around the court, and he's late to his own show, and then by the end of it, they've had a kid or two, and and he's dying young, but also he's lived life. Uh, The running thing with Mozart is he always owes people money, Mm. but... Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you really had that experience and that this was an enrapturing thing because I was watching it last night wondering, like, I wonder how Bartek is going to feel about this. I think you're going to like it because it's a a great character study of two people, but specifically one, which is Marie Abraham Salieri, who, even when you see him in the past... He's always putting on a performance. His character, even to people that he respects, he's he's manipulating everyone, and he mm. has that. He almost reminds me of Scar from The Lion King, where he's like, "Oh, so gentlemanly yeah, villainy, kind of thing." <laughs> yes, beautifully so, but. When when he's being polite, it's my favourite style of the performance from him because when he's being quote-unquote polite, it is that smiling from ear to ear with those nice, straight white teeth of his and that mannered accent and he's saying all the things and you just know it's all false. You just know he means none of it. Every
1: time they ask him, like, oh, so what do you think of it? It's like, it was (laughs) (laughs) marvellous. And...
0: Of course, I was never going to tell the Emperor. I never, I never went off and did it. And, but then it all played out anyway, and he took the credit for it. The thing was,
1: like, like, every time he said it was marvellous or it was, like, breathtaking or beautiful or anything like that, I did believe him, but, like, his attitude was very much, you know, like... I want to say more.
0: <laughs> yes, it was, I went, loved
1: it, but also, how dare he? Yeah. You went with Scar. would have been more apt if you said Frollo, considering who
0: Mozart is. I mean, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, if anything, he, Ephraim uh, H- Abraham, he never did He never did a Disney villain, but he should have been, uh, if any, J- uh, Jafar. He would have been great yeah, as Jafar. Yeah. But...
1: Uh, mostly you said uh, probably loved it because, you know, character study of two characters and how they mesh... I also, that was true, but I also loved it for the representation of an artist. Because very much so, the, our two characters here are artists. They make music, um, they play in operas, uh, they have contemporaries, and they have you know opinions of each other's work. Hmm. And because we have Salieri as our main character, both in the present and in the past, I've, a lot of his dialogue and way of expressing his story and how he felt, I thought was just beautifully written. And it totally made me buy into, like, exactly why he's feeling all these different ways. You know, before he before we ever see Mozart, he talks about how, as a child, this was someone like far in the distance that he's heard of, who he wants to aspire to be, You building mm-hmm. up to the big moment where they meet and, you know, Mozart rubs him the wrong way. He he goes into denial about like this must be an accident. All his stuff where he's talking about the Lord. Oh yeah, and and uh, you know what everything must mean ever since you know the Lord killed his father for him. <laughs> that it, was a great moment. <laughs> it was a great moment. Um, but yeah, it always just dialed it back to like the relationship with God, the Father, and uh, he was he, everything that happened to him was always coming back to that. And I thought that, yeah, all of that was very consistent. It always worked and it all made sense.
0: It really was wonderful to see the old version of him. The makeup was fantastic, especially the veins on his hands. Mm. I thought they were really well done. And just the... Way he was so articulate in his in his trauma with Mozart's. So when we get to the end and the reveal of like he has lost his mind and that he's this raving madman who thinks of himself he's as the like the patron
1: saint this... of mediocrity.
0: Yes, and he basically thinks of himself as a holy figure. It recontextualizes the movie you've just watched and the things he has said because there is a lot of this religiosity to it all. But when we cut back in time, we rarely ever see that from the character. We rarely mm. ever see his relationship with the God, with God or the higher-ups. It's all about ego. It's all about the status quo and it's, how things are done. It's, because it's
1: only just quiet moments in the first half, like where he's looking up at the cross. He burns the cross. When he prays. He
0: prays with his
1: head down.
0: Just please, and, God. Please, God, for both of us. And... Mozart is a character is so disinterested in playing by the rules and obeying the authority that is music that Salieri and his contemporaries are trying to enforce. And they're even undermined by saying that the emperor himself has all of these laws and decrees and things that are legal, But once the emperor actually hears his own laws and stuff, he he decides that they're stupid and we should change. Which Salieri and his other friends don't want to change. They want things to stay the same because they're in the all like they're clear in what they are. But when someone like Mozart comes along and says, fuck how it works. Why do we need to do it like that? contempt grows and those old stuffy men in their coats who are trying to make it so that the old ways are always the way get forgotten over time that's what happens yeah they
1: they play into like the laws and the audience that they you know have before them whereas mozart you know his genius is all spontaneous
0: It's a musical biofilm but it's also played like it's a political drama from the times as if you're watching this fable like if you were seeing a Roman epic following Julius Caesar and all of the backstabbings and the wheeling and dealings but this is about two classical music figures who have differences of opinion and Mm. this one's going to pretend to be the other one's dead father and gaslight him and... It goes on and on and on like that, but you know what I'm talking about, where Amadeus as a film isn't interested in following the rules of how you tell stories of musicians. It's rather interested in looking at it as a character study, but also framing their work as if it was something something as epic as a Caesar like story Mm. of struggle for power, struggle for who is the one to be remembered in the history books. Yeah.
1: Even though we hear a lot of their music throughout, like every time we see performances, it's always just like a little snippet. See for a few minutes, sometimes less than a minute, but you know, the the big things that they achieve you only see bits of.
0: We are uh, we're talking about Salieri, so let's talk about that character and and that performance. Are you familiar with F. Murray Abraham as an actor? All that I'm, much? I
1: must have seen him in a few things, but I don't have his filmography on the top of my head.
0: He was in Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. He was the old man. Um, he was like our main character in that film Zero, where we're seeing his life story, and he's him as an old man. Okay, so so it's Amadeus again. (laughs) Yes, it's a but it's just F. Murray Abraham. Yeah, that was a. Because that's a story within a story within the story. Like that movie is like a girl is reading his book and it's like F. Murray Abraham and then it cuts to F. Murray Abraham. You know,
1: same as Amadeus. I only saw that film once and it was in the cinema and I've always been meaning to check it out again.
0: It's a fun, fun watch.
1: It was great.
0: But uh, what did you think of his performance?
1: Yeah, like I was saying before, like his performance is the thing that all my love's centered around. Just the exploration of what this character is about, um his feelings towards everything that happens and how uh, you know there's the analogy or the allegory between Mozart and God. Um and like I said before, a representation of an artist. So you and I we're both artists of some description, we're performance mm-hmm. artists. And even though, you know, I, don't, I especially me, I don't do too much acting or performance stuff these days, um, I do still think of myself as an artist in a way, and it's this kind of thing where I can't really, I don't really talk about that aspect of myself to most of the people that I hang out with. Hmm. It's mainly just like, you know, us, because we did the drama course together, Yeah, um, but there is this you know, a certain level of when I see in fiction people, you know, getting passionate about their art and other people, you know, not understanding them or, or just not getting it, there is this level of, like, yeah, you know, you really push yourself towards achieving things artistically, and, you know, it's always a feeling of inside, and I really got that with Salieri in this film. Um, and so, you know, tying it all back to God, how, you know, this was a, gi- a gift and a sign that you gave me, so I'm going to achieve with this gift you've given me, but what does all this other stuff mean, which torments me? I just thought that that was really poetic and effective.
0: A scene that I really thought showcased the character and F. Murray Abraham's abilities as a performer was when Mozart's wife, Uh, came back to Salieri to engage with him sexually and he refused it and he called in his servant to take her away and the journey on that performer's face during that entire scene it was just so much going on and the internalized hatred that the character has was really on display in that scene. Of he had my what? He had my girl, so I could have his girl right now. But then I'm not going to stoop to his level. Like it's just all of these things that not being said out loud in the script or anything, but you can see it in Esmar yeah. Abraham's face of of the genuine desire and lust for a s- very sexy woman, his Christian side coming in and saying, like, no, then the, I could have his wife, I could ruin the sanctity of their love by having her because he's already done it to me, and then, no, I'm better than that, I'm not going to stoop to his level. Like, it's all of these okay. I, yeah, I didn't things really... going on in his face and his posture it, it, when it he was... grabs the bell, and it's such a quick scene, it's like, maybe, like, Fifteen seconds long on his face, but it's so good
1: yeah it, that that one's really open to interpretation. I didn't really see it as a self righteous I'm better than this kind of thing. It very much felt like a sort of emptiness of you know what am I doing? This mm-hmm. isn't right. I need to you know kind of play it cool or well, not even play it cool no it's i I don't even know how to put into words like what I thought he was going through because it was just so complicated, but yeah with that as much as i talk about how this film is a masterpiece with words that was a really great wordless moment because you yeah. have all this all this juxtaposition of like him he's when he first brought up the whole thing of like come back tonight
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It felt kind of spontaneous.
0: Mm-hmm. It, well, this all fell into his lap, and, yeah. he, and he's looking at it as an opportunity to strike. I,
1: I saw it kind of as like he's had time to, you know, since he did that to think over it, um, to also worry about, you know, his own self feelings about his art because you know he just saw the perfect, you know,
0: piece of mu- music, piece yes. of
1: music on paper. Um, so by by the time the woman came back, it was like, why did I set myself up for this kind of thing? He
0: is constantly seeing the opportunity to benefit himself and then judging if he should or should not. Yeah. When he had that music, there's a moment where you can feel like he is not going to give it back mm. or destroy it, there are, there are, and yet he doesn't. Yeah, I still and wanna, you can tell there's regrets mm. there.
1: Yeah, I still want to talk about this scene, but one thing that this film does a couple of times is uh, both Salieri and Mozart would look over you know, sheet music, mm-hmm. and the song would play in their head for you, and there would always be moments of like, well, they have to stop now. Sometimes they just look away from it, the music stops. There was one moment where it was like he yanked out of his hand and it stopped. Um, and that was a really good one in in this scene because he's 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 got this woman behind him who's just handed it to him for, mm. you know, trying to beg for a favor almost. And he's just completely captivated. And it was so great. I just keep saying it's so great. It, really because like it film. really it really <laughs> is.
0: And what's What's wonderful about that scene when he refuses her is it makes their relationship exist now, because before he had observed her from afar, maybe they had said a line or two to one another, but it was he already didn't like he did not like her already or he had his classist weird shit going on with her and her mother she and exists all. Yeah. she exists, and she's lower class. Same feelings were felt from Mozart's dad. But then this happened, and now she has an opinion on this guy, who for the most part feels as if he's a specter in Mozart's life. Mozart uh, barely interacts with Salieri during the movie, and when he does, it's always... Uh, a face on top of a face of, like, he's being nice to Salieri, but also isn't mm. afraid to be, f- like, uh, just an abrasive prick.
1: It's it's very much a thing of, like, you're, you're on Salieri's side in the sense that, like, you're following him, you're getting all these monologues about his feelings and what mm. all this means. So every time, you know, he and Mozart do interact you're You're expecting like, oh, here's a, here's a grand interaction of this dynamic, and Mozart is very, you know, blase, childish about so much of it that it like really underwhelms you in an effective way.:
0: What I think is so fascinating is Salieri, in his old age, does feel guilt about the things he did towards mozart and well the film opens on him saying i'm
1: sorry mozart he,
0: he he looks at mozart as this gift from god that he destroyed but when you watch the story unfold he does do shady things he does do bad things but they're not even the worst things that one could do he doesn't sleep with the guy's wife he doesn't ring mozart out for money in fact he gives mozart money but he does manipulate and gaslight him and stop, try to stop him. But favor keeps working. like just keeps coming up for Mozart. The favor is in; it's all for him. The emperor is going to give Mozart another chance. Yes, let's hear the music. But. The 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 thing that is a brilliant reveal, and you know it's going to be the case, but when it's revealed that the maid that's been hired for Mozart is working for Salieri, and then the relationship that goes on with that maid throughout the movie, and then eventually she says, I cannot go back to Mozart. He's insane.
1: Was that a reveal?
0: Well, at first, she genuinely is like, I don't know who hired me. It's a mystery for oh, me. Oh, right. And then it right. cuts to... Yeah, obviously I know who hired me. You do, like, yes, it's clear. Right, right. But like, I forgot about that. That actress played it so sincerely that you, the audience, could go, "Well, clearly Salieri hired her, but she doesn't know that mm. yet." She, you but, didn't know that she was in on it, right? But, but, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. She clearly is in on it, and that actress is in Sex and the City. She's one of the main characters in that. She's Miranda. But I had to bring that up because I know someone knows that's in there and if we've mentioned lemonade joe i should mention miranda yeah, but it was Brian editing i I like that character's journey where salieri keeps using her as this as this mole in their operation and he's getting very little out of it overall mm. and yet it feels like the biggest violation he does against the mozarts throughout the film is mm. that is having someone spying on them but It really doesn't cripple Mozart all that much throughout
1: the movie. It's also an interesting thing of like, this is like, you know, in a film where we're seeing so many higher class people who are in the know about, I was going to say the music industry, the composition industry, Mm. um, the musical world. Uh, This is a character who, oh, it's just a house servant. They don't, as far as we can tell, they're not really into music they're not that cultured. So when you have the scene of, like, when she's breaking down and crying, like, "I don't make me go back, please. And he just keeps asking her these questions that, to her, feel so esoteric. Like, was it a opera was it a requiem or something like that and it's just like (laughs) silly little opera and she doesn't have like a weird reaction to that or anything but like just in the in her grief and in her madness in her despair it's you can just imagine that in her head it's like what is he talking about please just answer my question just
0: let me leave please just let me leave
1: Yeah. yeah jumping back for a second to the um the scene with the wife where you know she undresses so, one of the main reasons why I said director's cut was because I read that uh, online, I think I was reading that some people were saying like, oh yeah, most of the additions are kind of worthless, but there's this one addition that really kind of elevates something that happens at the end of the film. And I didn't read what it was, but it ended up obviously being that scene. So, of course. Yeah. So, considering how much we've talked about that scene, how effective it was, it was like, oh, that was a really good addition.
0: She was a good character. Two, I felt sorry for Mozart's wife. She really tried to like, wrangle everything together and mm. Mozart is just too vain and in his own head to really care and he's too busy partying and wasting money she's playing in, pianos upside down. And... She's a
1: good halfway point between people in the musical world and, yeah, the maid because, yeah, she's getting money from her husband, you know, doing his work and her livelihood, her living, um, but also she is an outsider to that world.
0: And she herself is silly and, and, and a bit of an egotist like Mozart. They both laugh at the most inappropriate things and party, but once she becomes a mother and once they're actually struggling for money, it matters. and when the father dies she almost takes over that role a little bit of being that that person uh, uh, in the house that's telling mozart off because when the, the father was figure. there yes when the father was there she was very much railroading the dad of uh, leopold mozart who uh, let's talk about him briefly roy dotrice was the actor he's maybe what in like 10 minutes or less of the movie uh in total screen time, he barely gets anything to do. His painting gets more to do.
1: He's the aforementioned B5 actor.
0: Yes, he was in Babylon Five. He was in a, a whole bunch of of things and uh he, he did the audio books for Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. So he has a Guinness Book of World Records for having like read the most for an audiobook. Oh, okay. Because think of having read all of the Game of Thrones books like that's like hours, hundreds of hours of audiobook content right there
1: mm. I need to get a picture of like how big all the books are Well, to be fair. but again, I do the know that books
0: are like the size of bricks you know they're very big books Yeah okay fair and enough and there's like <laughs> five of them or something but And he's the sole audio Yeah and yeah. he does all of the voices Not fair enough which okay. is like hundreds of characters <laughs> he does voices for Jesus It's like lots of characters but uh he he is the dad and I thought he was fantastic he he played the Grief stricken father. And what I mean by grief is like his son gives him grief. Everything Mozart does uh, upsets him. But in a way where you, the audience, at least I do, side with the father. I'm like, yes, please, just straighten up. The dad's not asking anything unreasonable of you. <laughs> it's it's all really <laughs> fair. And when he was talking to was it the cardinal or one of these people, when he was apologizing for Mozart, he was apologizing, asking for another chance. And he he even admits to yes. I, I, he's a brat. Like I have I've I've let him have too much of what he wants and now he's turned into this man child. It was
1: that was a really good time because around that point I started thinking, well, you know, you're the one that raised him, so you've got to be responsible for it. And then like immediately after I had that thought, he admits that like I was too easy on him.
0: And what an interesting character. That's a person you could also focus a story on where you have raised the greatest musical genius in human history like that's his legacy leopold mozart is through his determination has made sure that mozart became what he became but also the trade-off is mozart is a is a child like he's stuck in a in a childlike state where he's this irritating shrill laughing madman asshole like absolutely no self-control and what a great juxtaposition to one another of just you have the extremes of of these things of yes i've created the best of the best that there ever will be but also as a person i've raised a terrible son like mm. <laughs> and i felt for the dad so much I, when they had that party yeah (laughs) i was thinking you don't take your dad to a weird sex party come on it was just so uh, come on mozart and the wife was no better Mm. and i just if
1: you could see under that mask you would see a beet red person
0: i thought it was wonderful that a piece of cinematography when it panned over to the dad and he's in his masked hood thing and and mozart is terrified but then he the dad turns around and to reveal yeah. like he was facing the other way.
1: Just to explain, the hood has faces on both sides.
0: Yes, um, I can not remember if it was just on the two sides or like all around. I thought I couldn't remember. I oh, was, I
1: thought it was just the two. Maybe it was just the two. Because I thought there was the juxtaposition of like the happy and the sad and the angry. Maybe,
0: face. but he turns around and you see those eyes and they judge. There's just judgment. We don't see anything else of Roy Dotrice's face. It's just the eyes, and you can tell it's contempt it's absolute (laughs) anger then he starts talking but just that two second shot there is so memorable to me there's many big elaborate set pieces of characters on the stage like the don giovanni scene which has lemonade joe that's the with that's the scene with lemonade joe Mm -hmm. which again that's a reference to the father that's like the 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 son who's haunted by his father. Well,
1: and, that was in the in the movie. That was the play that he made. Sorry, the opera that he made in response to his father dying. Yeah,
0: yes. And Don Giovanni is is played by Lemonade Joe himself, who in real life that actor was a, an operatic singer, so that's him singing.
1: Well, I read that it was. Was him. it him singing? I read that it was him performing, but not performing, singing. not singing. Because in the credits, in the credits, they listed like the character, the singer, and the actor.
0: Ah, so there unfortunately,
1: you go. it wasn't. So far, well, that's <laughs>
0: another voice in Lemonade Joe that sings for Joe. Oh, the, Car- actor was in, the actor was an operatic singer in Lemonade Joe, but he could not do the singing that is required in Lemonade Joe because it wasn't opera, even though it's called the Horse Opera. That's enough about Lemonade Joe. Uh, let's and he also talk, didn't sing in this way. He was an operas. <laughs> but, he, but his character was singing. But Can we just
1: agree that we love him, though? We love him, though. We love uh, Carter.
0: <laughs> we love you. We miss you. Let's talk about the the man himself, Amadeus Mozart. Wolfgang. Uh, we may know Wolfie. the actor for being the voice of The Hunchback in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The Disney one, yeah. Yes. And that's why I said voice. And There's I, many knockoffs. There's many knockoffs. <laughs> But he's retired from acting, it seems. I read an interview with him. He has a fascinating life, and I'll get into that in a moment. But uh, what do you think, Uh, Mozart? You have an image, perhaps, of what the man, the myth, the legend is like before you walk into this movie, and then you come out with something after. Oh, I've,
1: I've talked about my image of him before, watching it for the first time, and after it was... Yeah, there was that confusion of you know is this a, is this a joke is this a parody? But no, it was a representation of things that we historically know about Mozart, or like what he was like, mm-hmm. um, and if the purpose was to make Mozart an obnoxious man-child. With a very juvenile sense of humor, then we've got a perfect performance here.
0: <laughs> He's great. He's great. He does it. Uh, What's his name,
1: Tom Hulse?
0: Yeah, uh, it's Holch. Holch. Um, it, on IMDb, it, it, it even specifies it, like, it may seem like it would sound like this, but it isn't. It's even more simple. Holch. <laughs> I really thought the final sequence with him was the most revealing because. Yes, there's a lot of historical stuff that references that Mozart was a bit like how he was portrayed in this film, but we are also getting this told through the narration and the perspective of somebody who felt a lot of anger towards Mozart. But in the final sequence with him dying and being very ill and passionate about music and they're writing it together and they're working on a piece of music together, that came across as the genuine mozart that has not been revealed to us in salieri's story that's what i felt Mm. because lots of other people talk about mozart in the story like how we kind of see in that final moment where yes he's chaotic but he does have sense to him he isn't just this silly child but we weren't permitted that for most of the movie And then in those final moments, here we are, when he even says innocently and naively that, I always thought that you hated me. Mm. And he apologizes for thinking that. And Salieri's left there with guilt because it's true. Uh, I thought that was some of the best stuff, especially from this actor, because he's still playing Mozart in that moment as this kind of crazed, wild character. But it really felt like a lot of whatever the thing Salieri has been putting on the character has been lifted for a moment. Just a moment, because you have to remember that that's what this story is. It's told from the perspective of somebody who's losing their mind and somebody who has held on to this person for so long. They've held on to Mozart for so long, and they're bitter about it. Mm -hmm.
1: And when you look at the film as in the lens of like, this is a... Conspiracy film where you're following the conspiracy built up by Salieri. Mozart is completely obl- oblivious throughout the entire film of you know Salieri's plans, Salieri's feelings. Again, I mentioned before, every time we got an interaction with the two of them, it was effectively underwhelming because we didn't get any sort of grandness from Mozart about this situation. Mm. Um, I, so I saw it as a sense of like, you're seeing Mozart react to all of these schemes that are going on. And I remember every time, uh, every time you remember the scene where, uh, it was not with the father at that party, but it was when Mozart was, you know, making fun of all the different musicians. Yes, said he was
0: playing the piano upside down. Yeah. And yes, yes. Yeah, when
1: he eventually makes fun of Salieri there and you get a... And ve- he farts. Yes. Yeah, the, he does the fart and, like, he plays in a very weird posture. Um, that was very much a unfiltered, you know, showing of his true feelings about Salieri. So it's like, oh, okay, so maybe there was a little bit more going on in his head than, you know, his outward behavior because we got the impression from his behavior that like oh he's he's kind of wearing his behavior on his sleeve you know he's saying what he thinks he's he's you know inserting his vulgar humor towards people who he shouldn't like the emperor or the mm-hmm. the religious guy from earlier um and so every interaction with Salieri after that moment you always think back to like okay we saw your true feelings there And a lot of the interactions uh, after that scene are him, you know, asking for help, uh, being grateful when uh, Salieri extends an olive branch, and it's very much a duel between uh, this is another, you know, step in his scheme to, Mm. you know, get one over on Mozart slash God versus this is... Mozart seeing him in a new light. So it's like a kind of pure thing is happening on both ends, but one is more of a, you know, change for the better versus, you know, wallowing in self, uh, wanting revenge on this guy.
0: I I, I thought it was also another thing that caught, like another thing that caught my eye about Salieri was he over the course of the narrative, forgot to be a person himself. So he's so filled with resentment and awe at the same time. That's what's really great about the story is it's not as if it is just Salieri is this bitter, angry character. He also recognizes the beauty of this. He also recognizes that God is involved and that fills him with many emotions. But there's there's so many points in the film where when he connects with someone, even if it's just a brief exchange, it's because he's recycling or reappropriating the words of other people he has heard through the story. And that's how he connects with others. And it's like, you aren't being you. You're saying things that you think people want to hear or need to hear, or you have heard previously in other discussions. Like, I think he had the line... Where he recycled it from the the bishop or the cardinal about kissing of the ring and all mm. of that, and he used that again. He used that later about you know kissing and his Mo- head. Yeah, and and, Mozart
1: had a laugh about that.
0: Yes, or or when he was trying to relate to the wife about oh don't call me excellency or whatever. I'm just a poor boy too from the any 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 saying it though, like it's a like it's a practice thing and i think that was something too where you you leave this movie and you say how much of this is real and not just real in terms of like historical fic- like historical accuracy but real in terms of like the events of the story we have watched because mozart is clearly framed in a perspective of somebody who didn't like him but even salieri the guy that we are following both in his old age he is clearly losing his he's lost his mind as we see in the final scene but even in his younger days there's just so many moments of him not acting on what he feels it's always what is thought to be the best course of action or what others have said And i think that is just what makes amadeus as a film really stand the test of time because it allows so much discussion. It allows so much thought and feeling because you feel a lot. This isn't just the type of film where it's an intellectual exercise. It's also an emotional one as well. Yeah,
1: I I don't know if I can fully, you know, back up what I'm about to say, but I never really got the impression that Salieri hates anyone other than probably God. And himself. And, And himself, fair enough. You beat me there. But, um... uh. Yeah, because I think everything is just so centred around his admiration. Like He genuinely loves what Mozart is making, but it's it's affecting his self-esteem. It's affecting what he thinks is some glorious life mission that he was given when God extended an olive branch to him at a young age. So even though, yeah, there is definitely calculation to all his words, I don't truly think that he, you know, necessarily hated anyone who he was, you know, performing towards.
0: Salieri is a schemer, but not in the way that you would say Iago from Othello is a schemer, where, or any Shakespearean villain is a schemer. Like, it's it's more nuanced than that, and it feels, even though this is fictionalised, it also feels real to how people are. Salieri, yes, he does things that are a little bit more fanciful, like hiring the maid to be a spy or pretending to be Mozart's dad. But there's also, there's also just grounded realism to the wheeling and dealing that he's doing against Mozart, where it's just little petty things. Hmm. It's all a series of little petty yeah. things that... Most of which Mozart doesn't even get affected by or notice. Yeah. So who's it for?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not grand to him. It's just normal. Yeah. It's like you mentioned before, like, oh, he kind of looked down on the wife a little bit. Hmm. And one thing that kind of makes me think, oh, not so much, is there was one really, like, kind of lighthearted, wholesome moment where he, like, gave her the treat from, yes. like, his village. And you see throughout the film, like, oh, he's got quite a sweet tooth. Like, he first, <laughs> you know, sees Mozart because he was going for, like, you know, a little chocolate that he was following. <laughs> um, you know, he's got, like, little bits of chocolate, like, when he's mm-hmm. uh, teaching. And, you know, he he was telling her, like, oh, this is the nickname of this treat. Like, the yes. something's nipples. Yeah, or it was like the Venus's, Venus's nipples. nipples. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but even that,
0: though, the... The the, the the treat, the delight, it's temptation. That's it's, true. It's yeah. inherently a temptation because that whole sequence is is there to help tempt it, Yeah, it, you her can see. It, yeah, you
1: can see it as a prop of.
0: But, I, but, I also uh, but thought, it yeah. serves as many things rather than just simply one thing. That's what's great about many of the scenes in Amadeus. is it all. It is a sweet scene. It is a nice scene of him. We haven't talked about this, and I think this is one of the last big things I want to mention is the the, the racism in the movie that. Oh yeah. Constantly hating on the Italians and the Germans and and it goes on and the French get it a lot like every the Turkish yes there's just this constant air of like well obviously we hate those people even though most of the court is made up of Italians or like his German language doesn't get used because it's so brash it's
1: it's mostly German versus Italian but yeah the French, Turkish they get it a little bit
0: oh yeah the French near the end get it a lot like it's, it's a recurring thing about the fucking French but I just thought that was something else that added another thing to it which is even if salieri wanted to be nice mozart's just straight up racist to italians like he just hates italians like that he ne- mozart never budges on the italians it's that one sequence talking about treats mm-hmm. mozart's eating one of those and he likes it and he asks what it is and salieri tells him and then he then mozart's disgusted because oh it's italian and, and Salieri talks about, like, well, we all have uh, forms of patriotism that we like to hold dear, and that's his, is is the sweet tooth.
1: You even had kind of an establishing moment of, like, their first proper, you know, vocal interaction. is like, oh, love. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, we know something of love. Like, I don't think you do. And, yeah. And then he just, like, goes off on them. It's like, Jesus.
0: And you know what's hilarious? To this day. Who who are the Europeans that you associate love with? The, the Italian and the French.
1: You don't do it for the Germans. Well, I mean their language, you know, category is literally called romance. Yes. So We're Slavic, Ryan. Yeah, we're
0: Slavic. Polish is not the most loving mm. culture and language, is it?
1: But the most slaving.
0: But that's all I have to say about Amadeus. I had a really great time. I would recommend it to people. Uh, 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 the director's cut is the one I watched for this, as did you. So check that out. I, yeah. I can't give the. I don't know too much about the differences. I didn't want to look too much into that because you can get lost in the source of director's cuts. I, yeah, and I stuff. had some.
1: I had some guesses like, oh, maybe that was, and I was mostly wrong. Yeah.
0: No, that's so interesting. like little
1: additions here and there. A lot of the scenes of, I think, Mo- of, not Mozart, of Salieri praying, I think, mm. might have been added. The dogs scene, and that whole character that owned the dogs. Yes. There that... was a couple of things here and there. Yeah. So, final thoughts on this, part? Uh, I, I said it already. I loved it. I definitely recommend it. It's... I still have I was telling this to a friend that I ran into on the bus on the way here, Wet wild will, like I almost can't believe that this was three hours long because it just flew by.
0: <laughs> it just flew by, so now it is my turn to recommend a film for the podcast. Mm-hmm. We will be discussing it next time, and we're going to have some guests on, hopefully, so uh keep your eyes peeled on that, but we are going to be talking about an Australian comedy classic called The Castle, Mm -hmm. which is Eric Banner's first movie. Oh, cool. Isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah. I've always wanted to check it out. I haven't actually seen it.
0: Well, it's available easily enough. It's on Stan here Mm -hmm. in Australia. Yep. There's a copy even on YouTube. It's it's in like 280 blah, but it's Ah. there in case people want an easier way to find it. I obviously recommend... Finding a copy that's got the best available way to watch it, but if that's a way to do it for you, then that's how you do it. But the Castle from the mid nineties, and uh, it's an it's, iconic Australian. It's film. an iconic Australian comedy film about the 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 little guy versus the big guy, David <laughs> Goliath, David and Goliath story, the Ocker Australian family versus the Australian government. So. That is what we will be talking about next time. The castle. Make sure to tune in and give it a watch, and come back and listen to what we have to say about it. You can find us on your social medias of Facebook, and if Twitter still exists, uh, because Twitter's been a real bad place. Has there been news? I
1: haven't been paying. Attention. There's been a lot of news. Oh. We, we
0: could talk about it afterwards, but let's just say you don't want to date the podcast. Let's just say there's been a. There's been some uh, uh, site not working a lot recently, so we, we can discuss. But that is it. You can email us over at
1: spitandpolished at gmail.com.
0: If you want to recommend a movie to us, we would very much love that. If you do that, you can, again, hit us up at the social medias or that email. We'll add it to our list, and we will get around to it eventually. We're actually needing some more suggestions. We're in the single digits now of suggestions. <laughs> Here so we are, yeah. We need some more. Please send us more. Please, mm. sir,
1: we want some more. We
0: have been... Doing pictures powwow now. This this episode will be released maybe a week or so before. It's been four years.
1: Oh, like did this. we start in July?
0: We finished the. We finished unappreciated masterpieces today. Like this time, oh. like when we're recording this four years ago today. So we're recording this on the weekend. So. And then we started a couple weeks after with uh, this. So we're near the ballpark of us having done this for for four years. Isn't that that interesting? But that is it. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember to be kind to each other or else my spite could possibly kill you. That's right. It could kill you. Oh, I actually, I, I misled us. We're not ending. I didn't talk about the actor of Mozart in this i said i had some interesting facts about that actor. oh okay sure so this is really bizarre so the actor is is gay Mm -hmm. and i know this because there's a big drama about his sexuality which is he's gay he's always been gay he's been very open about being gay and that's why But but for some but for some reason in a magazine in like 2008 he had to clarify a big scandal which is that People have said for most of his acting career that he's been secretly married with a wife and some children. And he's like, I'm not married with a wife or children. I've never been married. I'm gay. I've always been gay. And I just needed to reference that because it's such a weird thing to get accused of. (laughs) Especially if you're open. Like, you know, I mean, usually it's the other way around. It's like, oh, they're actually gay. We're like, oh, didn't you know that Richard Gere... Or this or this actor is secretly gay, and then but they're married and they have kids. No, but instead it's like a gay guy, and it's like, did you know who's secretly heterosexual? <laughs> it's such a. I just <laughs> thought that was such a bizarre thing. But that's my fun fact of the podcast. Thank you so much. Cool. Is that is that going to be the cold ending,
1: or is that's that? That's the cold
0: ending. We're cold that, ending it. Now. Cold
1: ending. Okay. Well, Ryan, in editing, uh, I know they usually put clips in at the beginning of episodes. Mm-hmm. This was a. Musical episode where a lot of things count as music, so let's see how demonetized we get for this one. <laughs> we don't want to do another, what was it called, gang gangbang interlude? <laughs> <laughs>